All right, we are live. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us again for part two of Mental Health and the Black Artist. My name is Troy Pryor, founder of Creative Cypher. We're really excited about the program that we're doing, uh, all of the media opportunities that we have in place, and our partnership with Max Black Media. We know how important it is to take care of our bodies, to take care of uh, our injuries and physical traumas that we may have, but it's just as important and even more important is to take care of our mental health. And tonight, we are specifically talking about those in the creative worlds uh, that have to be on stage and in front of audiences and still balance and manage uh, many of those challenges. So without further ado, I wanna bring the illustrious Dr. Gloria Chance to the stage. Troy, hello, how are you doing? Um, I'm blessed, I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for leading another uh, great conversation. I'm excited, let's get, let's get on with it. All right. Have a great combo. Thank you. And hello, everyone. And welcome again to the Mental Health and Black Creating and Black Artists Creating Through Trauma Part 2. This is an event that was developed in partnership with the Creative Cypher in association with Troy Pryor, who you just met, Max Black Media, African American Art Alliance, and the Gary International Black Film Festival. This is Part 2 where today we're gonna to discuss and explore how art and trauma impacts us at a community level. You know, as this conversation on mental health continues to evolve, we've launched this series so that we can focus on helping those who have to navigate the challenges while still uh, performing for audiences in some way. And as I mentioned before, we all have to perform in some way, even at our job. So this conversation is also good for everyone. I'm Dr. Gloria Chance from Max Black Media, and I'm a psychologist who specializes in creativity and the imagination. And according to James Hollis, who is a depth psychologist, he talks about and states that stories, our stories, can be nets that trap people in false lives. And I think this is important because while we look at film and entertainment, that is somewhat of a false life that is trying to inform real life. But what I want you to remember in these false lives and these stories is that um, it's a way for you to stay stuck in your mental trauma. So for example, pick the name. You have, you're in a relationship with someone, your mom, dad, any person, and they may mean well, but you know that they're difficult and toxic, et cetera. But we continue to stay in those types of relationships because we tell a story that, oh, they're okay, and bless their hearts, you know, they really love me. And those stories help us stay locked and trapped in that net. And this happens to all of us in some areas of our lives. But the key thing that I love is that stories can also help us and show us new and true worlds. So we can transform those stories to be as wonderful and fabulous as we want to be. And they, those stories, when they're positive, can help us find the new ways to create our own unique reality. And so tonight, we're going to be talking about trauma and our community. And as we begin to get started, I want to give you a simple definition of trauma. Trauma is a deep emotional wound. And think about this. We've had 400 years plus of forceful submission, in some cases being victims, being in bondage and with emotional and physical pain, situations that have caused us pain as Black Americans. We've lived it through this for centuries. And there is interge intergenerational trauma that both has a physical and mental effect on our families. So our mindsets, the way we think about things, the way we do things, they are passed down. And you get to choose if you want to break that cycle. And so today, we're exploring how art and trauma impacts us at a community level. And we hope that these conversations will provide insight and wisdom that can be applied to your own life, whether you're an artist or not. And so I am so happy to be with our, our four panelists, and I'm happy to introduce them right now. First up is Sydney Chapman. Sydney uses theater as her medium to conjure hope, justice, freedom, and joy led by ancestral guidance and intergenerational wisdom, she directs, educates, produces, and writes work that heals her community. She's also, she also has tons of awards, and I'd like to welcome you um, to the stage, uh, Sydney. Nice to see you. 
Thank you. Nice hat. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And then next up, we have Mel Jackson. Mel is the Chicago is a Chicago native, and um, he started out as a natural actor, writer, and producer, and has made a name for himself in the entertainment industry. He uses what he's learned in life and the industry to find creative, joy, joy inspiring, abundance producing ways to share and to be of service to the world. Thank you, Mel, for your work and welcome. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. And then next up, we have Jewel Ifaguni. And Jewel is a producer, speaker, writer, director, and a TV host committed to building an inclusive world through media and tech. In 2001, she was named one of the 50 women to watch in entrepreneurship. Hello, Jewel. And then last but not least, we have Marianne Alda, who was one of the first African-American daytime soap opera heroines starring as the criminal criminal attorney, Dee Dee Bannister. I remember her on ABC's Edge of the Night. And today she's prosecuting ageism with her TEDx talk, Ageism is a Bully, Stand Up to It, and also a solo show, Getting Old is a Bitch, but I'm going to wrestle that bitch to the ground. <laughs> so welcome, as you can see, we have quite an illustrious panel here today. So welcome, everyone, and let's go ahead and get started. Um, so now, I talked about trauma being a deep emotional wound. Um, and so I want just to jump right in and describe to me and the audience um, what do you see as the dominant wound in your work? What do you see as the dominant wound in our community today? And why do you believe that? Why don't we start with you, Mel? The dominant wound in the community? Yes. Uh, I, I guess I would say the, the, the biggest wound is uh, not being able to express. You know, there's a lot of things that when you're a kid, you're able to move and groove as you want to. But then once you go into the school system, you get kind of, a condition and indoctrinated to to move in a certain way based on money as opposed to your uh, uh, your imagination or whatever your natural bend is. So I think that while one side it is good because a lot of people fought and died for us to have opportunities to have education, I think that uh, uh, the the creative part uh, needs to be um, healed a little more because I think it's taking a hit. Oh, wow. You're speaking my language now because I'm, a, 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 you know, I just think everybody should expand their creativity because that does make us healthy. And there's a lot of health benefits there. I love that answer. What do you think about it? You, um, you know, um, Mel talked about creativity in the schools and Marianne, you work with ageism. So tell us what that is and what do you see in the ageism area? Well, first of all, I, I want to answer the, the question that you just asked that, that Mel answered. I think within our community, um, a, a dominant wound is that we are constantly being judged. So we kind of have this alternative persona because we don't want to be perceived as, you know, the angry black woman or the angry black man or whatever. So sometimes we, we don't fully express our emotions because we don't want to be judged on them. And no, that exactly. just inhibits who we are. Exactly. And how do you see that, though, as it progresses? Because you're working with older individuals. So how do you see that play out as we get older? Um, as I, I have to be very careful because I have a potty mouth. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you get old, you don't give a shit. You know what I'm saying? It's right. like, at some point, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> no. Um, That's you, true. you know, it's like, because you know, it's like, you're going to die anyway. It's like, you kind of don't want to leave anything on the table before you go. You oh, know, so, there, so there's a word there. Maybe we should start not leaving anything on the table yeah. when we're younger, because 
you are right. As you get older, the thing I think you don't want to have is regret, right? About, well, I could have, should have, right. would have, but Absolutely. I did Exactly. So let's talk to some of the younger ones on the panel. Jewel. <laughs> I knew well, it would be everybody crazy. else, by the way. I'm right there with Jewel, and then, and then we'll go to uh, Sydney. Yeah, no, I'm pretty much aligned because what I'm thinking is one of our biggest wounds in our community is self-love. Like, we've been conditioned to not love our authentic selves, and part of that is not being able to express ourselves. Part of that is always having to be on defense. And that's where I see more hope in art, especially in the younger generation, because we're like, forget that. We're going to focus on authenticity. We're going to focus on forefronting our voices. Like recently on our show, How We Got Here, we filmed an episode on Black hair, and it was just amazing to see the conversations that were happening in Gen Z. It's like, you know, we're not going to stick to these norms. We're going to do what we want, and we're going to keep innovating. And that's the beauty of internet, because now we're sharing our stories. So I think that's where we when we can get to that point where we continue to universally love ourselves within our community we're going to be unstoppable but i definitely think like we need to that's a wound in our community but i'm curious to thoughts yeah yes i would also say um history you know we don't know a lot about what happened prior to us being here and since we don't know we can't change the things that have happened because we say, oh, well, that happened in the past, you know, oh, well, that happened so long ago. So it doesn't affect me now. I had a student say that to me once that, well, that happened, in, that was slavery time. And I'm like, we're still affected by this now, you know, so that the lack of history, the lack of knowledge of where we came from, that idea of Sankofa going back to where you came from and, you know, reaching back to the past and to, to inform your present. Yeah. We, um, I feel like that is a deep wound. And I think also it's important for us to understand our trauma and to do something about it, right? Because otherwise we stay locked, as I mentioned in the intro, in our stories. And so when we look at stories being a trap in a way, right? We tell ourselves, our mindset says, oh, it's okay. Don't worry if you don't know your history. Oh, don't worry, you know, if you don't speak up for yourself or you're not yourself. Those are actually stories and, and programs that are played out in our mind. Um, and so in your work, in your individual work, and if you can give an example, how has your work, work do you believe, helped uncover some, uh, some of these challenges in the community? And, and has it helped people find true words in terms of how we can be unique in the Black community? Jewel. Jewel. Yeah, I was just going to unplug. So something we do at our company is that every other week we have our clubhouse like town halls with typically our audience is predominantly Gen Z. And we recently had a conversation about what was happening with the Oscars. And because of the type of group we had and the various backgrounds of people in the Black community and Gen Z speaking on it, we were able to kind of have a healing moment. But it was because we had that space to be able to share like what does it mean to protect a black woman? What does it mean to have masculinity? And what is toxic masculinity? So in a way it was, we created that space for each other. And I think that's how my work contributes to that is just continue to create that space to have those important conversations. Now, when you say create a space, um, share more about what you mean. Yeah, so I think creating a space is creating an environment where there's individuals that are supporting that they're willing to listen because our rooms are typically like mixed, like mixed ethnicity, mixed background, but there's still space, especially for black people to speak up because we have ground rules, like be respectful, be open to learning and also trust like the thought, not always go toward like assume best intent. So we kind of create those ground rules for people to even enter the space in the first place. Okay, gotcha. Thank you for that. Sydney, it sounds like you also create spaces. You create spaces for girls and women. And so when you uh, create those spaces, how do you think that, you, how does your work help those communities? So I'm not just, uh, I work within the education system. I've been working as a theater teacher for 19 years. So one of the things that I really promote at the beginning is how do we uh, see ourselves? So one of the things that I teach my students is about the self-love piece, um, our skin, our hair, singing songs of affirmations of love and respect for ourselves and respect for others. So I feel like that type of work that I've done trickles into the work that I do on a professional side with black women and girls. 
what I realized, excuse me, what I realized is that there are no places where black women and girls in the theater community can have an open, safe, and not even just safe, but a brave space to create and a brave space for them to tell their stories. So uh, one of the things that I do within the work is really listen, is be a, you know, be the conduit for their uh, their stories and their lives and find a way to create an authentic, artistic space for them to be able to see their work, see their lives projected to them in a positive way. Oh, that's beautiful. Especially being able to see the image of not only who you are, but who you can be is really important and powerful. And Mel, Mel is an actor and producer, et cetera. How does this show up in your work in terms of what's the wound you see in the community and how do you try to address that in your work? Hmm, what's the wound that I see within the community? Well, that, um, you that you address in your work? Well, I, I think the, the, the biggest thing is to, uh, I'm big on using your God-given talents and abilities. So I think that by using what the Most High has given you, that all that shows you um, your value, and that's what I really think that in our community, where a lot of these things are coming from, uh, where there's a uh, low self worth and self self esteem and things like that, that comes from the images and and the uh, the media and the propaganda or whatever you want to call it, constantly projecting this thing about you're less valuable, and that causes harm. Because that, I think, trickles down to our community where we'll easily kill one another and not even think about it. So the, what, what I try to do in my work is I try to play characters, whether I'm playing a protagonist or an antagonist, that causes the, char- the people that are watching it to think in a way to show both sides that even as a protagonist, they're doing it for a reason. And it may be some of their backstory and back trauma that's causing them to be that. So don't, even when you judge them, you know, still kind of look at them as being a human being. And also with the protagonists, show those uh, those vulnerabilities that are there, the, the the sensitivities. And I think that this helps those that are watching it uh, in a way where they're able to see the characters go through it and they're able to vicariously go through it. And then after that, they can communicate and have conversations about it. And I think that's where the real healing starts to take place. From the I art. love that. I love that because you're trying to bring dignity, right, to whatever you're doing so that we can get the benefit of, of seeing that while there might be a struggle, that we're, we're human and we still deserve the dignity. That's that's pretty dope. And right? human, human is the key word. Right. Human exactly. is the key word, even above black, even right. above black. You know, this is like you say that whoever's watching this, you know, right. it's it's human. Yeah. And you want to teach. You want to teach people because people have stereotypes about black, the black community. And so any chance that we get to make that story be more realistic to who we really are instead of a stereotype is really important. Marianne, um, how has your work, particularly in the ageism area, um, in the community, um, what, how have you helped that community find their true words and story? Well, talking about dignity, which you just talked about right now, uh, you know, I've been a woman all my life. I've been black all my life. Being old is something new, but relatively. And we all hope that we get there, right? Yes, indeed. But um, uh, I think some of the discriminatory battles that I fought as uh, a younger black actor are now serving me well as an older black actor because I've got that, you know, I've got that muscle, I'm strong so I can fight those battles, which are still going on because ageism is the last bastion of discrimination. You know, you it's you yes. know, because you can't make fun of black people anymore. You can't make fun of blondes, but you can make fun of the old people. It ain't funny. Right. And um and I have I have I had to leave my representation because they did not understand that uh, there were some roles that I was, I said, I, I'm not going to go in for that. When I, I don't go in for anything that I feel will denigrate women, people of color or older people. Now I can play a villain. I can do anything like that, but you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to do anything that I, would 
be embarrassed when I saw that on the screen because the images that we create on the screen, the, we project the images that other people see of themselves. Right. Those images seep into their subconscious mind, form their belief systems, and then they behave based on those beliefs. Belief. I trained as a hypnotherapist too, so. Uh, you know, I was that, gonna say, you totally got that down. Yes, yeah, that is totally you know, it. And I want everybody to take that in because all of the social media, any media creates images that will drive the way that you think and behave. If you see too much of the same thing and you're not getting sort of a balanced approach. I love that. Thank you so much, Marian, for that. Sydney, you um, continuing on, you talk about in your work, and I love that you said something like this, which is, that um, you know, you do your work not so much to deal with trauma, but to focus on telling stories of triumph. And that's what we're talking about is how do we help the community see stories of triumph and joy so that they can they know they got this, that they can do this and that they have support in a way that sometimes we don't always find. So describe why you feel this way that because a lot of artists talk about, you know, they do the work to heal the community. But you're, you're saying that, well, no, I just want to have triumph and joy, whether it's healing or I'm not doing now. I don't know if you mean whether it's healing or not, but describe why you feel this way when others state that a lot of it's about healing. Oh, it is about healing. Joy and, you know, triumph is healing, right? The concern that I have with most, and I work in the theater, most plays that are written by uh, for Black women, if there are plays with Black women in those the, in the cast to begin with. Let's start there. So we hardly see it. And if we do see it, it's based in some sort of experience that, like you said, as your definition, it's deep, a deep emotional wound. So uh, where, does, where does a woman, where's a black woman and a black girl find a space where they feel like their story, even if it is traumatic, there is someone taking care of it. You know, there's some hope that's there. You know, I'm what I do is, is healing, but I'm not focused on seeing the act of something happen. I don't want to see the rape. I don't want to see the killing um, because that's happened, right? We see that all day, every day. We hear about it all day, every day. Do I want to go into the theater, into the movie theater, into a, into a live theater performance and see that on stage? Absolutely not. But I do think that that helps, those experiences help tell the other story which is that triumph, which is the joy, which is the hope. And if we don't have a story that has hope in it, then where are we? That's really beautiful. And you know, you also, Sydney, as part of that statement, talked about you don't want to re-trigger people, which I think is really important. I think there's history and there's the truth, but you, you can get re-triggered by seeing something violent over and over and over. Um, and that can become the story of, of being a victim um, and you know not, getting the tools that you need to overcome. Uh, Marianne, you also uh, talk about that this work is not the place to work out your problems, that you should do this in therapy, right? And oh, so this yeah. brings us back to the question that I asked the last panel, which is if art heals, then what is your role in the healing? And if not, what's your perspective? I think that when when we as actors, whatever it is that we portray on on screen, those that storytelling, that whatever it is that the character goes through, um, a lot of the audience can relate to that. But for the actor, I think the actor has to be the the stage or the screen is not the place for the actor to work out their stuff. They need to work that out in therapy, because. When you are, it's a, it's a community, it's an ensemble. You're not just working alone, you're working with other people. And it has to be a safe place for everyone. And when you haven't worked on your stuff and you can be triggered and you, it makes it unsafe for the, the rest of the people that you're working with. So yeah, work out yourself, work on yourself so that you can wrangle your emotions and use them productively in your character work, but don't work on your stuff for your characters. Thank you for that, Marianne. And I was getting ready to talk about Black women. Can I just... Uh, I, 
I was, I was getting ready to talk about black men and uh, ask Mel a question related to black men and therapy, but he has uh, dropped off. So great timing. Great timing. So can, I, can I step in real quick to just sure. you know, um, co-sign? I've experienced, I've seen that as a director, I've seen actors trying to work out their stuff on stage. And it is so scary to see your pain or your experiences and you're, you're forgetting that you are no longer an actor at this moment, you're playing yourself. And it can get really, really scary on, in, in, a, in an environment like that. So I agree with you totally, that you have to work out your stuff before you get onto the stage. That's great, and Mel, welcome back. Um, I wanted to ask you to follow up on Marianne's comment about you know just working on yourself before you go on the stage, that's not a place to work out your trauma and issues. Um, you know, in our community, we know our community, we, we're skeptical about trauma. It's getting better, but we are still really skeptical for real great reasons. But, you know, the African-American male, the black male is even more skeptical. So from a standpoint, how do you see um, art healing, uh, especially from a black male's perspective? Um, number one, I see art as healing because uh, art is a release. Whether you're the on the the artist side or you're on the audience side, um, when the when with the artist you get to pour it into the work, all this energy and you know sometimes playing a different character that will act in a way that you wouldn't normally act in in your regular present life, and it allows you to have certain experiences inside of that character that actually uh, supports you in in, in kind of dealing with your stuff. Uh, but on the other side with the audience, I think with uh, with us going through what we're going through on camera, they get a chance to sit in the dark or in their living room or sometimes with their phone by themselves and go through uh, the journey. And that's what I think is the whole whether, whether you're looking at something like a movie or a television show or a piece of art on the wall, you know, or listening to music. It, it takes you on a journey to where you can you can get you can release yourself sometimes from the space that you're in and that can give you certain sort of insight. And I think that that can be incredibly uh, valuable for uh, black men uh, as it relates to sensitivity. And, uh, and sometimes even with black women uh, juxtaposed against the black maleness out of a relationship, they get to see some different things and no matter what the genre is. And I'll say this and I'll go back, I'll let, I'll, I'll let you guys go back to the next one. I'm working on a piece now and to show you how we do it in the work, of where it's a horror movie, you have to hit all of the different boxes for the network and everybody in order to make it. Because I do believe that it's entertain, educate, and enlighten. But with our work, we are there first and foremost to entertain because that's what the people are paying to see. But with, with this piece that we're doing now, they had the, the, the woman who was doing something that the man, the black man, black woman, asked her not to do. And she does it anyway and ends up getting into a situation and he's coming to save her in that situation, even though he doesn't agree with it, even though he tried to talk to her about it. But he ended up getting killed in the script at first. And when I took it over, I said, you know, a black man is supporting this woman and coming after her in order to 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 uh, even though he doesn't 100 percent agree with what she's doing. He's coming after the, to save her and then he gets killed. I said, that's uh, how about this? How, how about we let him live? Right. Exactly. How about how we how we let him live and protect her, and then that went on to send a a, a, a vibratory a, a wave through the whole piece to what now the story has changed to now it's about a couple that goes through something, and then uh, 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 they goes go through it together. They survive and they're able to work on it, and you see that at the end. And to me, those are the small wins that we we do in the art because. You have the art, but you also have the commerce. And with us being in the entertainment business, we have, and me being a producer also, we have to find the balance between. But there is a way that you can uh, support the community in healing, and you can entertain, educate, and enlighten. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And I think what you shared there is that, right, as we get more powerful positions in the industry, we can make those changes. Because, Marianne, what you were saying is when you were coming up, likely there weren't the, as many opportunities to have a voice to make those kind of edits, um, et cetera. Because we know in a lot of movies, 
especially main, mainframe movies that, and the reason I was laughing early is because the black people tend to get killed like at the, at the first scene or something, right? If it's a horror movie. And that's been the formula in the past, at least my experience in watching it. And when you look a lot of the literature, that's what's happening. But I want to stay with you for a minute, Mel. So there is an artist out of Baltimore um, called Amy Sherald who talked about, I was fascinated by the story and they said, I always want the work to be a resting place for black people. And also went on to say that our bodies are political statements within themselves, right? Especially when they're on canvas and they're in museums and they're very public. And so, um, and, and, you know, they talk about not wanting to marginalize, which is really what you were talking about, is making sure that we're not marginalized when you have a say-so in films to making sure that our images, that our images deserve more than that. So you spoke to this earlier, but what do you believe the images of Black, the Black community deserve? When they see images, you gave a really good example of changing the script, right? So seeing survival. Is there anything else you would add to images that we deserve to see? Well, just of the people in the community, just more of the, the images of the people in the community. And and, and um, like she was saying, allowing, a, I, I noticed that the women on the panel also are creating spaces for these stories to be told. So it's creating a space, whether it's as much as you can within the studio system, right? With, with the leeway that we have creatively, or it's where you, whether you're doing it in theater, because I came from theater. And one thing I loved about the theater is we got a chance to be a little freer uh, than we are inside the studio system. My only challenge with theater is I just got tired of doing, it seemed like the, the place that we get the big funding was the slave stuff. And I got a little, I'm like, there man, and I couldn't work because, you know, there's not a lot of fair skin lead parts. <laughs> no, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> Can I be in the show? No, but 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 I'm saying that. Uh, but it's just showing showing the images. All, all of us, you know, with, with us as artists, you gotta right. write. You gotta write. You gotta write. You gotta write. You gotta write. I think writing is really important. Like having these groups of what we're showing. And one thing I love about the cipher is that it creates an opportunity where you can do all of the things: write, direct, produce, and all of it. So you gotta be able to tell your story in whatever way you can. And so, Sydney, Mel mentioned theater and how, you know, what do you see as the difference when we look at images that black the Black community deserves? Is that different in theater than it is in other media modalities? Uh, no. <laughs> like I said earlier, it's very rare to even see sometimes a Black woman on stage in a lead role playing, you know, whether it's romance, playing, you know. Um, it's it, And when, when I say this, I'm saying this from the point of view of mainstream we think about broadway we think about you know big shows lord theaters that have like like the goodman theaters and things like that there are companies after this reckoning that we had in, in this in uh during george floyd the theater went through a reckoning as well uh because of that a lot of theaters who were initially not giving black people the time of day are now like oh let's open the doors and give you all the space to do these things, but what's going to happen? I mean, you're applauding, Mel, but what's going to happen in another, in another year? What's going to happen in five years, right? Yeah. So it's like, it's cool now, it's great now, but what's going to happen when we are now, I hope the tide changes. I hope that the audience shifts where we see more Black people coming into these spaces so that they, they see that, you know, because they're Black people or people of color or whomever, that's not just the typical Anglo-white um, that we need to do something about that, or better yet, get out of the way, give up that space so that black people can control it. Or, hey, how about you just support the black company that has already been doing the plays and the work prior to, and we've been struggling because all of the funding has gone to somebody else who's not black. I mean, I could go on and on. Well, yeah, and, but you know, that's, that's a really good point to me because in the next, um, a series of part three, we're going to talk about the business because what you're speaking to is as as black as a black community, we need to own more of the either the capital or the assets that will allow us to bring these stories to the screen in the way that we believe they should happen or to the entertainment industry. And Jewel, what do you say about the images of the black community and what images you believe they deserve in the work that you do? Have you produced something that already does that or what do you believe is needed? 
Yeah, I think that's a great way to kind of tie in my point on ownership because it's very interesting to be on this panel and have a certain perspective because I work in the unscripted documentary space. So, and also being a creator, I and an indie creator and that I have the power to create the story. So even going back earlier to like, what are the things you have to take care of to make sure that you can show up? I feel that added responsibility that if I'm creating this piece for black people to feel seen, but also for others to learn and empower their communities to be more inclusive, like there has to be that support network. And then coming into it when I'm like actually creating and thinking about what representation do I want to see when it comes to people in the Black community I'm interviewing? What representation do I want to see when I think about the diversity of the panel, especially when it comes to Black representation? I don't I don't play with that. Like I take that very seriously and I want to ensure that any anybody can see themselves in that person. And even though it's not a fictional character, it's still a human being. And I think like historically, when we think about representation and reality TV and unscripted TV, we're typically not casted in the best light. So that's how I specifically try to take power in my own hands and really be intentional about who we put on the show. So then people are seeing like a diversity of representation within the black community. Yeah, but think about um, the, you know, it's a great point you're talking about unscripted and reality TV. Yes. And it doesn't always show us in the greatest light. But Mel, you mentioned that, you know, we're, you're here to create number one, the entertainment. Do you think for the black community that the entertainment should be the first thing? Like if you forget about what you know about the industry, is that good for our trauma? If we're looking at entertainment that is going to uh, put us in a negative light. You're on mute. Oh, I'm sorry. There we go. Yeah, you're saying, do I think that that it should be about entertaining? Yeah, you mentioned earlier that, you know, entertainment first when you're doing the work. And you right. Know, about, right, exactly. But a lot of the reality mm -hmm. TV for the community is about entertainment that is very, that portrays us in a very negative light. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, do you think that entertainment should be number one? Because Jules talking about the fact that she's producing so that we can be seen in a different light. And entertaining, obviously, a lot of times is about drama. But drama for us also embeds and could trigger the trauma that we are already trying to deal with that many of us don't even realize we have. You, there, there are a lot of different ways where you can you can get out there and show your work now. That's that, that's what Jewel is saying. She's she's in a realm of where she doesn't have to deal with the gatekeepers like we had to do when we were coming in in order to be seen on screen or the big or the small screen. Um, I just say that uh, it's not always about. Um, the money that when I'm saying entertain, that's about when you're dealing with the money side of it. But in, when it relates to the mental health and the healing part of it, you know, when we were kids, we used to just play. We didn't have a lot of props, you know, talking about plays. We put on the play easy, just like that. We're going to do this. This is what we want to do. This is the story. And we go at it. So you don't need anybody's uh, permission in order to create something that allows you to express what you want to express. So I would say do both. Go ahead. Yeah, do both. I got you. I want, okay. and I want, I, yeah, go ahead. Okay, I just want to chime in really quick because I do think that there doesn't need to be a lack of humanity with entertainment. So just to clarify, like what I said earlier, I, I think my goal as a creator is to have a diversity of perspectives, right? Like that's the problem with underrepresentation is if there's only a little bit of representation and you have representation that's not the most positive, people are going to be sticking to that. But what I'm thinking about is this is why it's important to have representation, especially when it comes to the producers. Um, this um, show, Sweet Life on Max, it's like a reality show following Black Genzennials in LA. There was a scene where the girls were fighting, but the thing that was beautiful about it is right after, it actually shows the producer helping have a conversation between the three of them. And I saw it like go viral on Twitter saying like, wow, like that is so nice that like, have that so it's not like we have to take the entertainment away is let's not lose the humanity in it and i do think the producers have a role in it and i will also say like i still deal with like having to go through the red tape and i think that's the importance of also supporting um indie creators especially black indie creators as well is that's how we can get to a point where we don't have to keep fighting and we can just lift each other up but i'll pass the mic oh that's great marianne Okay. Um, I wanted to uh, comment on, on what um, Mel had said. You know, it doesn't have to, when he said, you know, 
enter, um, entertain, educate, enlighten. It doesn't have to be either or, it could be yes and. And what he did in that situation where the, the, the black man was going to come to rescue the woman and then he was going to be killed for it, you know, at the end of that, it's like he used that as an opportunity to the, the entertainment value didn't change, but the enlightenment and education value got raised. You don't have to lower one to have the other. You can have it all. Right. And I, I'm going to give you an example of when I, I came on Edge of Night in 1981. There were, there were very few uh, African-American full-blown heroines that had a whole storyline where the whole bunch of stuff happened to them. Um, when a new writer came on a show, the first thing he would do is kill off the old actors because they, they got residuals for the characters that they created. My right. contract was coming up. I knew they didn't. You knew you were going to be writer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I, so my character was, was being, had a nervous breakdown, was going off to a mental institution. I'm not going to belabor that. But when they came to take me away in a straitjacket, <laughs> I, I was supposed to pick up a letter opener and stab my law partner with it. Oh my God. I went to the producers and I said, I, I, I can't, I can't do that. And they said, well, but, you know, she's having a nervous breakdown. I said, she ain't that damn crazy. <laughs> um, and he said, because, because you know, I figure, what have I got to lose? Exactly. I'm on my way out. So, yeah. so let me make this a teachable moment. <laughs> and so they said, well, but you, you know, she's, she, she's losing her mind. She's, and I said, no, she is not. And I said, I will push him away. They said, well, it's, it's not a knife. It's a letter opener. I said, and by this time I was frustrated and I said you know what that's what you say but all the audience is going to see is just another nigga with a blade and I'm not going to do it wow good for you you good know oh, exactly so we, we that is up to all of us and when you talk about trauma I think we as creatives live with the trauma of having to stand up for and be the shaman and be the representatives for everybody. That's the trauma that we face as creatives working in this industry. That is so powerful because I have to tell you, you're right. You're standing up, not just for yourself, but the entire community and the people who are going to have eyeballs on your work. I, I Ryan, thank you so much for that. You know, as we look at our trauma, our own individual trauma, um, you know, we all live our lives kind of based on our family history and what we learn from our families and the mindset. we have. But I often, you know, ask myself, well, what questions would I, because we get locked again in the story in our net. And my question is, what question or questions would you ask yourself to free your mind to be able to soar in your art and within yourself? And what I mean by that is we all have limitations. We put limitations on ourselves. I mean, we've mentioned them in this broadcast. They're all real, which is, well, you know, we don't have enough representation. Well, we got to follow the formula. Well, you know, those are, while they're true, people who are disruptors know that and they ask the questions and go do the work anyway. So if you had a question or questions that you had to ask yourself, um, that would free your mind to be able to soar, do whatever you wanted to do. What question would that be? For me, I, I asked myself that question. I was a banker and I said, what would it feel like if I just was a psychologist, which is what I really want to be? And then that took on a whole life on itself. But I was brave enough to ask the questions that I didn't, that would change my life. But I, it would cause me to do more work and not be comfortable. Uh, but to grow. So what questions would you ask yourself based on your trauma, based on the things that have been holding you back? I, I don't have a question that I ask myself, but I always tell myself this. If God has given me the desire, do I think he's not going to give me the talent to fulfill that desire? Right. God don't work that way. You know, if he, if I have the, it's so, and so if there are obstacles that come along the way, those are man-made obstacles. But God has given me the talent and the desire and the wherewithal to overcome those obstacles. So it's like when it's something that I can't deal with, I just lean on God. <laughs> 
Gotcha. Okay. And so when you talk about uh, questions, again, this is really about your hopes, dreams, and fears, right? Whatever they are, what questions would you ask yourself that would push you to be able to move and soar in a different way than you're doing today? Yeah, I was really excited to like jump in and ask this because where I'm at in life, I actually find myself having to have those conversations with myself because like just being in the thick of it. And the first thing that helps me free my mind, even though it still takes me back like into the trauma is why are you doing this in the first place? You know, I started Few Matter Studios when I was 19 and it was because of the discrimination I was experiencing in computer science and also in the media space. And the other thing that helps me kind of get centered is not like the why in terms of why I started, but like what's gonna make this world a better place for my little sister, right? Like I don't want anyone who looks like me to go through what I had to go through. So what am I doing to continue to do that? And then just going back to like, what was what were your biggest dreams when you were a kid? Because that again, just getting to that point where you can be have full happiness and just like be like where you had your innocence for me personally, like that's helpful and healing. It helps me continue to even dream bigger. That's when I get my best ideas actually. So Exactly. It really is a creative process that expands your mind in an incredible way. What about you, Sydney? You know, I was thinking um, this question is kind of hard for me because I was trying to, trying to answer it in a way that, um, that kind of, connects me to my personal, you know, personal life, but then also thinking about it from another point of view, I feel like for me, um, I'm most interested, the question that I always ask myself is like, what is true sisterhood? You know, what is true, what is true family without, uh, I mean, you're going to go through problems as family members, right? You're going to go through conflict, but what does that true sisterhood look like? What does it feel like? How do I, um, How do I make that a space for different communities outside of your immediate family? You know, some folks have chosen families. Some of them choose to be in different spaces due to their personal family struggles. So how do I create a space where uh, women who don't know each other can feel comfortable and safe in a space? So I think that drives the work that I do. That's pretty incredible. So when you think of, um, I want each of you to share work that you've done that you believe that you're mostly proud of, you're most proud of, um, that has provided the transformation that you believe the community deserves. So you want to start, Jewel? I was thinking, because it's it's hard for me to pick which one I'm the proudest of, because I feel like I pour my soul into all of them. You know what? I am most proud of outside of the project we're working on right now, which I also want to address is The Drive. So The Drive is a virtual reality film that reenacts a police blow. Ooh, I want to see that. Yeah, it's on our YouTube channel at Matter Studios. And why I'm most proud of it is it has allowed me to merge media and tech to fully immerse people into what it's like to be us, even just for a second. You know, I was first exposed to this when I created my first film on honoring Sandra Bland's memory. And by creating that and also meeting her mother, that's what inspired me to create The Drive and especially as the character be a black mother because we don't talk about who's left behind and we don't talk about the trauma we carry as black women. So, you know, I, I'm very proud of that. And because of that, we've been able to have conversations with schools, police stations, all of that. And that's what inspired our docuseries, How We Got Here, which is focused on literally continuing to have the conversation with Gen Z while continuing to put um, black voices at the forefront. So that's, but I do think that was like the catalyst of what made me proud. I love that because integrating tech and art, especially if you're doing AR, AR, AI, AR, or VR, virtual reality, any of that stuff, it does allow people to immerse themselves so that they can think that's a powerful tool for healing and at least the beginning the journey of healing. So thank you for that. Um, Welcome back, Mel. Um, We're talking now about, um, you know, a piece that you've done that you're most proud of as it relates to uh, this topic tonight around trauma. Oh, wow. What have I done that I think about trauma? Uh, I don't know. I, I'll just go. I, I love a lot of stuff that I've done, but I'll just yeah. do soul food. That's good. <laughs> you feel me? Soul food was about the family and I right. the family coming together. Yes. Through, uh, the whole thing was about trauma. So exactly. I think that that shows how impactful, okay. impactful it can be to the community in which the show the the piece is about with the characters that it and the leads 
but I also went to a, a Chinese restaurant up in the hills in, in uh, Universal uh, City where they didn't speak, um, the people there didn't speak English really good, right? But it was one of the waiters that came up to me and said, you were in that movie, Soul Food. And I'm saying, wow, he said, our family's just like that. And that right wow. there showed me that, you know, I said, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there being a little uncomfortable because I don't know the language. And something that we shot uh, impacted their family because they're saying that their family have the same challenges. And, right. and, it, and, it, and it did something to me that showed uh, this is an honor uh, that we get to do this occupation. It's, and it's also something else to it, but we'll build on that later. Yeah, that's powerful for sure. Marianne. Um, I would say, I'm going to say Edge of Night because it was during a time that um, that character, you didn't see that that kind of character a lot on television. And so I, I know how it impacted people by the people who came up to me and still remember, that was almost 40 years ago and people still come up to me and they say, they tell me how that character encouraged a couple of women to go to law school. Maybe more than that. I have this fantasy that Michelle Obama used to come home from school. <laughs> you know. Um, yourself that story. <laughs> um, but I also feel that the work that I'm doing now, um, I do stand up, I do everything to elevate getting older. And I, um, my solo show, Getting Old as a Bitch, but I'm gonna wrestle that bitch to the ground. It broke a 30-year box office record at the National Black Theater Festival. Women come up to me and tell me that I am telling their story. This woman said, were you fly on the wall when I was going through my divorce? No, but it's, if you are, uh, the more specific you are, the more universal it is. And women are, women my age are hungry to see themselves represented in a way that they see themselves. Uh, I'm gonna, my birthday's on Saturday, I'm gonna be 74. People wow. say, oh, did you break, but this, is what, this is what, but this is what 74 looks like, but we don't see this representation of 74 on screen, you know? And when we have a negative, um, a negative impression about getting older, it impacts our our psyches and it affects our health. So, uh, so I'm all about changing the paradigm, especially on women and aging, especially women of color. I don't do broke down and show up. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. No, that is so real. You're right. Seeing images of ourselves can be healing, especially when it speaks to what is really happening in real life for us. Yes. So, thank you for that. So, as we start to wrap up, I want. Um, each one of you to talk about um, just real briefly, because everyone in appears in this business, you know, they they maintain their imagination and they kept their imagination by starting out really early in the arts. Again, some people as young as two, three, four, five. So if you had anything that you wanted to share with the audience about how how can that we encourage the younger generation? while they're still babes? How can we encourage parents to protect them so that they can grow up, if they wanna be, to be in this industry, or at least just to maintain their creativity, which is really the whole point of having a healthy, um, uh, prosperous life. So uh, why don't we start with you, Sydney? Um, it's, it's hard to say, you know, I've been working with children for a long time and I've seen a lot of things that happen through generations. Um, I just want, I want parents to be present, you know, um, putting the, putting a device into a child's hand and then walking away or using, you know, using media as a way to soothe a child while they go do what they have to do is unfair to the child. So I would say starting out with just being present. That's really great. Um, uh, why don't we, Jewel, what do you think? Yeah, um, I would say, yes, parents should be present. But if I'm like speaking to like teenagers, like if I'm speaking to my little sister right now, I would say it's also like just create. Like if you're passionate about creating a show or you want to create a YouTube video, 
if you're if you have your phone use your phone grab some friends but like just go for it don't think you need to have xyz materials and then make a ton of noise about it that's how you can get into this industry because especially now people are looking at like what you're putting online or like word of mouth so this is the time just go for it and create if you see a show you like start writing you don't have to be a writer you're a writer in yourself because you're going for it so i would say yes on top of parents being supportive because i do think that is very important and it helps build that foundation for creativity i would also say just go for it and then you know you're going to find yourself in the industry as well yeah that's beautiful now um oh my okay um I, what i would say is i would tell the parents to tune in with their uh their creative uh uh a childlike enthusiasm, yes. right? Because one thing for me is that uh, one thing that unlocked the artistic, and I'm talking because I, you know, I, I write, you know, uh, um, act. I, I do a lot of performing arts, but but I remember my mom drawing this big flower on the wall in the apartment. Now I know that you know technically she wasn't supposed to be drawn on the walls in the apartment, you know, when you're renting, <laughs> right? But my, but my mom. But I love that she made her own rules. And it was some, it unlocked yeah. something. It unlocked something in me that uh, I thought I had to do something else, and I end up still doing that creative work that I was doing when I was a kid. Now I'm doing it as an adult. Are you writing on the wall still? <laughs> to, to, to this day, well, to this day, uh, now now they're uh, they're index cards for movies because you got to list the acts out, you know, so you can see the whole story on the wall. So I still yeah. do it. No, that's incredible. And, you know, you mentioned a really good point, which is the work that I do as a psychologist, expand the creative minds of adults, because that's the part that keeps us living longer, looking younger, create, you know, producing and creating, no matter whether it's in this entertainment industry or any other industry, creativity and imagination becomes a powerful tool to shift the stories, which is what we're talking about, especially the stories that are negative in our minds. We can shift those stories through writing on the wall, writing on paper, um, and just kind of going outside of the box, right? Going outside of the lines. It's really important. You can start any day. Now, is it scary? Absolutely. But it's important because in order to live, now I'm going to try to quote this and I'm probably going to get it wrong, but I love the song that, that Drake does where he says, um, everybody dies, but not everybody lives. And it is so important for us to live. And using your imagination and your creativity is the way that we get to live. And so, Marianne, um, what say you on this topic of... Um, well, you know, I would say uh, to the parents, don't be a dream killer. You know, sometimes when a child says that they want to do something, it triggers the parent because of the advice that they got. And they said, you know, be practical, get some, I, I got, get some education classes, become a teacher. Nobody in my family was an actor. They, you know, and it took me a while to come out of the closet as an actor <laughs> because I thought, well, what's wrong with me? Then I discovered Carl Jung and yeah. I realized that genetically with all of the attributes that I have, I am genetically predisposed. Those, that's where my gift, my gifts are, that's where my talents lie. So uh, I would say if a parent gets triggered because their child has bigger dreams than they as a parent have had, instead of squashing your child's dreams, allow them to follow their dream and then you follow yours. Wow, and you know how difficult that is to do, right? Because again, as we opened, the conversation, we spoke about the fact that our traumas pass down through generations and someone has to be brave enough to break the cycle, break that intergenerational curse, which causes a parent to block children to because, and why? Because partially they want the child to be successful, obviously, right? And they're thinking, go to a safe job, you'll be okay. So it is with good intentions, um, but it is important to understand that also you want to give that child the power to be everything that they were put on this earth to be. And so um, I just love, love those conversations. Is there anything- well, and I was gonna say one thing more. Yeah, and, be, and, and be there for, and be there when they fall and be ready to lift them back exactly. up. Be there, absolutely. Unconditional love is what we call that, which we all must try and practice more than we probably know that we should. So any, any final words as we wrap up? 
I wanted to say that I just wanted to share that I dream of images in our community that are centered around our our joy, centered around our healing, centered around our our peace, as well as um, challenging. There should be a balance between the two. It shouldn't all be one thing or the other. It should be a balance. That's Absolutely. what we're missing. And we have to do our work. And I want to thank you all for your insight tonight and your um, kind of insight into your storytelling. Sydney, Mel, Jewel, and Mary Ann, really thank you so much for your graciousness and sharing with us tonight. On behalf of the Creative Cipher in association with Troy Porter, Max Black Media, African American Art Alliance, and the Gary International Black Film Festival, I want to thank you all for joining us today for part two of the mental health and the Black artists creating through trauma. I'm Dr. Gloria Chance again with Max Black Media. And please join us next week as we explore part three. It's not next week, actually. It's May 18th. I have a date thing. So I will see you next week on May 18th as we explore the trauma of the business side of being an artist. And again, make this a healthy and mental healthy day. Thank you all again for joining. Thank you. Namaste. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.